Welcome to the Earthborn Games Podcast. I'm your host, Anders Carlson, and joining me are the staff of Earthborn Games. First off, we got game design director, Andrew Fisher. Hey, Andrew. A.K.A. Hey, Fisher. I'm, <laughs> Sorry. A.K.A. Fisher, yep. Uh, everybody can call me Fisher, but I'm, I'm excited for uh, this, our... our first official episode since our last episode was kind of a test run episode zero uh exactly exciting I mean, to be first real episode today mm-hmm. it was the test run but people are saying that it was like one of the best podcasts they've ever heard and uh <laughs> yeah all time <laughs> so, <laughs> breaking records exactly so i mean we can keep calling it a test run if we want to but i don't know maybe it's our best it will be our best episode we'll see can we top it <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> next up, we've got visual design director, Evan Simonet. What's up, Evan? Hey, how's it going? I'm doing pretty good. How, how's your evening been so far? Oh, it's going good. Um, I'm sorry I didn't get good lighting in here. Um, I'll try to get some LEDs or something cool behind me, uh, like Fisher well, has. As, well, as, well, as Andrew pointed out <laughs> earlier... Um, you can just look at mine if you want to feel, feel good about <laughs> about your lighting because yeah, I, you have some like mis- a, you have like a mystique to yours. Do I? Yeah, like, a, like I'm in a crypt or a bomb shelter or something. Yeah, there's just like a lot of confusing shapes back there. Um. <laughs> That's why I turned. The, well, I turned for, the light, for all of you. I turned the lights off back there for, so that you wouldn't see all the weird basement, <laughs> you know, clutter. But it ended up looking creepier. Actually. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> <laughs> Do you though? Yeah, for for all of you uh, listening on uh, Spotify or places without video, um, uh, Anders kind of uh, is hiding out in a in a cave somewhere, I think, and mm-hmm. I, I'm the only one here with uh, the psychedelic gamer lights behind me. <laughs> totally. <right. laughs> well, when you have a young baby, you just keep getting like put your your existence just keeps getting smaller and smaller. You're shoved into the basement. I don't even have a bedroom anymore. <laughs> anyway, also we're joined by Andrew Navarro, who is the founder and creative director at Earthborn Games. Hey, Andrew. Hi, Anders. Yeah, <laughs> I remember good. when my oldest son was born, I was ejected from my cool room that had my hobby table and my mm. computer desk and, sucks. and my guitar amp and all the things I enjoyed. Yeah. Where did they go? Uh, they into, mostly to went into storage hang in the basement. Well, no, actually uh, we oh, lived man. in a weird house at that time. And like, uh, they kind of went into a, uh, this kid, this room we called the breezeway, which was a, a glorified hallway mm-hmm. at the top of our stairs that led to our, uh, that led to our bedroom. And, and it really just became a home for all the miniatures that I stopped painting and that, then mocked me every time I passed. <laughs> I eventually put them all away. Just I felt I felt guilty and and de- depressed every time I walked past them. Wait, you have miniatures that are finished? I do have a few. Yeah. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. I don't. <laughs> the, you just have like though. I think Andrew. I think your. I think your son is is probably going to overtake you in miniatures finished here soon. Yeah, well, that's my my younger son for sure. Yeah, one hundred percent. Like mm-hmm. uh, he's a machine when it comes to painting miniatures. I'm I'm quite envious of his confidence and his brushstrokes and his ability to just just bang out full units of Space Marines in a day. Space Marines. <laughs> is he going to be selling those? I don't. I I Hundreds. hope not. 
I hope not. Hope not. <laughs> yeah. You can make some good money. <laughs> yeah. Don't, don't sell miniatures. Don't you know? It? You, you don't sell miniatures. You keep them in a box forever. <laughs> I mean, there's a, what's this place? Dreamer's Gate near my house here, a couple blocks away. And they have, they have, uh, you know, glass cases full of like finished miniatures. That Dreamer's that Vault? People, Dreamer's Vault? Is that what it's called? Yeah. On Hiawatha? I, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw them and I, I was kind of confused because, you know, I feel like the fun of miniatures is painting them, right? I didn't know people bought them painted, but maybe there's some like superstars. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's a that's a whole thing. Warhammer, is that what it is? That is a, yep. that is one of the things. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> see, when I was a kid, see, yeah, that's, no, there's, there's a... Sorry, that, that, that's kind of my... That's where I entered this kind of you know, nerdy world is I, I would get stuff like miniatures and magic cards and comic books, but I never played them or read them. I just would like hold them and, you know, look at the details and stare at the, the art in the comic books, but I never seriously just never read a single page. You're, <laughs> so you're, I feel like kind of like a weird <laughs> half nerd. Yeah. You're, you're kind of representing a, a large cross section of hobby collectors and gamers though. I think, um, I worked with, well, we worked with people at FFG that were would just buy games just to have them, you know. Really? Oh yeah. Who who would do that? <laughs> I worked five feet from one of them. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I, mean, I, guess, I think that's a big part of the hobby is is owning games that you that you don't play, but you aspire to play. For sure. Right. Yeah, the collecting and yeah, having and there, something I think there new. Could be a Sorry, Andrew. Co- go ahead. Oh, no, it's okay. I think there can be a collecting mindset, right? Like there's a, especially with Kickstarter, you know, us on Kickstarter, there can be kind of a completionist mindset for one, feeling like you kind of like have everything there is to offer. Um, And also, I think, especially for board games, they're also different, you know, like, is it player count, play time, total weight type of experience, right? And you want to, a lot of people feel like they want to have kind of, everything covered right Mm -hmm. and a game for every possible thing that would come up right so that they have the perfect game to pull off their shelf Mm -hmm. uh though at least in my experience i feel like most people it's usually they end up playing the small handful of their favorite games those get a ton of plays and then a lot of the other ones kind of sit there for years until they're finally trotted out but a lot of those are really well organized and sleeved and i think a lot of players (laughs) just like organizing their stuff (laughs) <laughs> their library and they don't feel guilty about those games they haven't played no i don't think so no well it depends on the person <laughs> well yeah i was saying i was thinking maybe there's like two different types of people because i have a lot of things that i don't play video games board games whatever and uh i feel really guilty about it what would, do you guys do you guys have any of that uh backlog guilt is is your is your steam uh library <laughs> unplayed steam library uh just looming (laughs) oh yeah yeah just hundreds and hundreds of dollars in games that i've never played maybe played like 10 minutes and then i I stopped and went back to the the favorite game but but at least you guys collectors do you guys collect games that you don't play you could say that (laughs) i wouldn't call myself a collector um because i feel like that is that mentality where you just kind of have to have everything uh but i do have a decent size game collection for sure um but yeah i don't i don't feel a compulsion compulsion to go out and just kind of grab everything of a specific type or of you know have a full library of a game for every occasion even though i do have a 
full library of a game for every occasion. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not really a board game collector other than um, I have like started hoarding and collecting uh, hero quest, like the 1989 uh, Milton Bradley hero quest. So I have, I have two um, full copies in like various states of, um, I don't know, wear and tear. But one of them I got from Half Price Books um, following a lead that I heard from someone that I worked with. And when I showed up there to get it, I discovered that it came with two sets of components for everything, like two sets of each card type and then two sets of plastic, which was an amazing steal. And the people at Half Price didn't realize it, I don't think so. Um, <laughs> they didn't price it accordingly. <laughs> I don't think they looked at the, um, you know, the, the comp- uh, component count or anything. They just saw a pile of stuff inside the box and right. nice. put a price on it. So it's pretty cool. So it is cool. Quest you plan that on is, buying? Um, <laughs> I've already kind of reached the ceiling because all of the expansions are really hard to find. And if you look on eBay, they're like thousands of dollars. Um, Dang. Yeah. Could, how much could you sell the things you have for? Not not nearly as much. The core set is uh, it, the core set like is something you can find a lot easy, more easily. And um, also Hasbro Pulse just did like a really successful, the equivalent of a Kickstarter and re-released that. So I'm sure it's the original. Maybe not might not be as popular now or something or hard to get because people are satiating themselves with like the new the new version. Although the, I don't think the plastic is as good because it's like that PVC, like soft plastic and not the ABS of the original. So, Damn, you got to have that ABS. I know. Mm-hmm. Everybody knows that. <laughs> 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 so you guys... Well, for our game, yeah, we're, we're not ahead. going to be uh, doing uh, either kind of plastic. Um, uh, well, you know, a lot of games use that kind, th- those kinds. We're, we're trying to avoid any plastics in our games besides uh we did look during the kickstarter at doing some bioplastics for the tokens but everything else in the game is paper and now we've moved to wood for those tokens so we're trying to avoid and then even our miniatures Mm -hmm. are recycled pewter so we're trying to avoid Mm. plastics as much as we possibly can in in our products um that's andrew can probably speak to that a bit more but that's super cool yeah i'll talk more about that later Right. Oh, I guess. Yeah, we, we do have we, we have an official uh, outline for, for our <laughs> episode right. one now, and we have a, a section where we talk about sustainability. So. Fisher's just <laughs> passionate about sustainability. He's yeah, jumping we'll, the gun we'll a little get, bit here. We'll get into it. We'll get into it. <laughs> awesome. Well, we can we can continue talking about what's going on over at Earthborn Games HQ. <laughs> I bet you guys are are super busy. It seems like you are whenever I talk to Evan. Um I want to just check in with you guys and, and see what you've been up to. I'm sure there's some cool stuff you can share with our listeners. And uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to Fisher first. What's going on? What's going on with you? Yeah, so over in kind of game design land, uh, I think I mentioned last podcast, we were getting ready to go to wave two of testing, So, uh, which is kind of the wave of testing where we're going to be testing the campaign and story of the game. And so we're launching into that this week. Uh, and so it's pretty exciting. Uh, as part of that, kind of one of our main focuses has been getting our campaign guide up and going for the game. 
the campaign guide, for those of you who might not know, I feel like most of our listeners probably know. I don't know. A lot of you are probably backers. But I don't know. For, What's a campaign yeah, guide? Anders, you don't know. And for uh, other people who might not, our campaign guide is kind of the brains of the game. It is what tells the story, what links everything together, what is going to track all of your progress on a little tracking sheet. And so as you play through the game, you'll read different sections from this campaign guide. Cards in the game will tell you to go to different sections of this campaign guide and read them. And they'll tell you the story, give you different choices, react to your choices, and then play out the story differently based on the way things might have gone in past sessions. So it kind of tells this story across a campaign and hopefully reacts to you and creates this living, breathing world. And all of this is done with these, just all these journal entries and numbers, and then this tracking sheet where you can write down the things we tell you, different things to write down, and then the campaign guide will kind of check against it in the future to kind of react to that. And so our game is a campaign game that you know may last you know twelve to thirty sessions, depending on how much you explore the the open world. And so as you can imagine, this guide that runs this open world is this pretty complex beast. Uh, so we've been working on getting all of that up and running so that the testers can uh, use that document. And right now, so that, that's a lot of what I've been working on is I've been kind of creating the skeleton of this thing. Not necessarily every word that people will read in the final game, but all of kind of the logic and the linking and like kind of our rules for what each section needs to accomplish. And then our writer, uh, Sam Gregor Stewart, uh, is going through and kind of using my prompts and then building on it and, you know, using all of his storytelling expertise from working on role-playing games for uh, over a decade to kind of like build it into more flavorful, appropriate prose and kind of building onto the skeleton. So Mm. that's kind of what we've been doing, getting ready for this wave of testing. Uh, I'll tell you, I'm ready to not be looking at a Word document anymore, though. I'm, I'm ready to actually have the game on the table <laughs> next week again. Well, yeah. I, I went in there uh, this past weekend, you know, to start reviewing all the mission entries, you know, and start to, just to get another pair of eyes on it. And I, I have not really been in that document since, I don't know, maybe like right after the Kickstarter. And we had like a, like a very small version of that uh, document ready for that. And man, it's enormous. Like, I, I understand how you feel. There's, it's such a, like I was just scrolling down and just, it just keeps going and going and going. There's just so, so, so many words. It's pretty awesome. So there's, there's a ton of yeah. content. So it's basically going to be a small novel inside the box. Yeah. Like what how many it? pages are we looking at here? Well, so the page count's kind of up in the air because we're um, considering different formats um, for the book. So uh, we may do like a smaller size. Uh, we may do like a standard, like eight and a half by 11. Um, but what's our word count uh, at right now, Fisher? Or roughly uh, right now in the outline, uh, I think we were we were at roughly like twenty five to thirty thousand words. Um, and then this is just, that's just the outline. So, like I said, it's these things are just like my little notes. And then as Sam fills that out, that usually inflates. I mean, I, I say little notes, but I'll kind of hit on every logical story beat or whatever else needs to happen. It's just not in a way that, you know, we want to sell to people. It's it's not like it's not the way we want people actually playing the game. Uh, so as Sam fills that out, it usually inflates by about fifty to a hundred percent additional. So I think we can expect to land 
and uh, also assuming you know we add some extra sections and there's a little bit of word count inflation that I'm underestimating, I think we'll probably land a little north of sixty thousand words for the final uh, for the final campaign guide. So it'll be uh, yeah a, a pretty decent novella slash novel uh, <laughs> that's coming in the box. <laughs> that's exciting. You mentioned that the game takes place as a campaign. Um, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm trying to like figure this out. I've never uh, played a game that that gets played over. You said like 13 sessions or so. Um, how does that? Are, are you just setting up and you're going to have like your game station set up there? It's you know how, how does that? What does that look like? I'm just trying to. It sounds crazy to me, but it sounds awesome. Yeah, definitely. I, a lot of different games do it differently. There's uh, campaign uh, board games and card games have uh, been increasing in popularity over the last 10 years or so. Uh, and so every game does it a little differently. But uh, no, usually you don't leave it set up. Hmm. I, though I have seen people who left like Seventh Continent set up until they were done on a table they didn't need to use. Uh, but for our game, is that like uh, a, is it, that it is a notoriously be... long game. It is a it is another kind of exploration based um, uh, exploration based campaign board game that you would play over multiple sessions. It kickstarted a few years ago and kind of has a lot of uh, similar mechanical themes to Earthborn as you kind of explore this open world in the game. So it was it's a fairly like a common point of comparison for kind of what we're doing with an open world. Mm-hmm. Sorry if, if I'm asking um, some pretty but, basic questions, but it's it can be played as one player, correct? Is that is uh, Earthborn? Yeah, Earthborn Rangers. Yeah, Earthborn oh yeah, Rangers, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. We um, yeah. So that's actually been one of the important things is that we have kind of true solo play in the game, so that you can somebody can just play as a single ranger and play through the whole story and the whole campaign. Mm-hmm. You might have to build a slightly different deck that can't maybe like hyper specialize in one thing because you don't have other people around to support you. You might need to be a little more jack of all trades kind of person, but solo play is really important. So all the way from solo play to four people, and you're going to be able to drop in and out as far as like you could play one session with just one ranger and then another session with four Mm. though, you know, if somebody's not there, they're not going to be getting the rewards or anything else while you, and you know, miss part of the story, but you can kind of change your player count game to game mm-hmm. and the game will adjust per session with you that's so cool um but to your original to your original question about campaign stuff the uh for these games you you do pack it up so for example if you were playing earthborn rangers if the four of us were playing earthborn rangers we'd each have our deck that represents our ranger and we would just kind of take that pack it up put it in the box in its own little section and so that we could just take it out next time and use that same deck with all its customizations if, for example, you wanted to break down the game and uh, unsort those decks, uh, you, you're going to have to write down kind of your deck list to preserve it. Um, otherwise, you're going to have to kind of recreate your deck from scratch um, because, and your other cards. But from there, all your story progress is tracked on this campaign tracking sheet. So anytime something happens in the story, we have you record it down. And so that campaign tracking sheet keeps track of everything important that you've done and how it impacts the story. So all you really need is your decks and that tracking sheet, and that's enough kind of logic for the game to know exactly where you're at. That's awesome. I'm, ex- I'm excited to, to play this. I've never played anything like it. Um, 
and I'm sorry to the listeners if you already knew all this stuff. I'm 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 intentionally coming into this a little bit, uh, you know, without any knowledge. Um, but I did watch How to Play today with you, you two guys. Oh, nice on YouTube. And uh, oh yeah, that seems like so long ago now. No. now. <laughs> Yeah, the, the weather was beautiful. Yeah. Where were you guys? In Panama or something? <laughs> we were in my backyard. <laughs> I f- yeah. I figured, I, I think I saw you maybe like smile to maybe what I assumed was like a, a kid of yours or something. <laughs> yeah, at one he was, point. yeah, he was there. He was there. <laughs> it's funny. He was like right off camera. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, he actually, like right when we sat, we sat down to start uh, recording, um, a neighbor start like fired up their uh, leaf blower. Yeah, no, really. <laughs> yeah, it was like, like it was on like on cue, on cue exactly. Yeah, and he mm-hmm. uh, he he immediately like just ran off and then uh, asked him to please turn off his leaf blower, which he did. It was very nice. <laughs> oh, nice neighbor. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Well, thanks for uh, sharing. But Fisher. Anders, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Oh, I was just gonna say you don't need to apologize for you know. Uh, asking these kind of questions that's that's the whole reason Anders is here kind of hosting us is you know being people who have worked on games together for a long time i think that Andrew Evan and i could very quickly get into like jargon or into the weeds and like it might not make for good listening so you know right. Anders is here to kind of prompt us with questions remind us when we should explain things give us a perspective that isn't so just kind of insular to the industry mm-hmm. so uh yeah don't feel bad at yeah, all that's all that's right. the whole uh, yeah that's what we, that that's why we want you yeah 100 well, thanks, thanks for reminding me why i'm here um, <laughs> <laughs> evan the art guy yeah tell me tell me what you've been working on um i will i just had a really great idea for someone to mention before i forget we could okay. call um solo mode like lone ranger or something yeah Oh, How about that? Uh-huh. Would we get? Is that <laughs> like right? Oh, is that yeah, a copyright thing? I think it I might used be that joke. Yeah, you did. Oh, I thought it was the I first one. I think I one. used that joke in an update. Okay. I, I think I, I think I talked. I think I mentioned a Lone Ranger. It definitely popped in my head. But we okay. could. We, mm-hmm. I, we. I think we. We very well could and should call it Lone Ranger. Could be like mode. a challenge mode, like an extra. I don't know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, community-driven thing. Well, that's kind of how I like to play, though. Like that's that that character archetype I like is like the conciliator. Uh, Yeah, for those of you who who don't know, I don't know if anybody knows except our playtesters that we uh, in the Kickstarter we had a a character uh, uh, specialization called a constable, which we've changed to conciliator, Um, and and they're kind of like a uh, kind of like a like a sheriff in a way. Um, they kind of go from town to town and help mediate disputes and, and help people out. And, uh, I really, I really like that style of character. So I like, I really get into the Lone Ranger vibe (laughs) uh, with my character. Um, yeah, that's how I played the, uh, kind of like early version of, uh, I did, I played through like the first half of like the campaign outline, kind of just piecing it together with the, uh, um, kind of, um, with the, uh, stand-in missions we had for the first round of testing uh and it was it was a lot of fun i really enjoyed mm-hmm. it I'm, I'm really looking forward to playing with the actual missions and the campaign guide <laughs> i'm looking forward to playing as either the the second conciliator piece that i did or the second artif- artificer because those are my two favorite uh ranger pieces that i made so far i'm nice really happy with them so what is the, what does the second conciliator piece look like um 
So the uh, character has like uh, Orlin Thumper, like a like she's not really brandishing it, but she's kind of just holding it at her side, um, and has like the signature kind of like head shield. I guess we don't really have a name for that. Oh, um, she was the one that you originally sketched with like the thumper on her shoulder, and she just looked way too yeah, much like she was ready too, to kick yeah, someone's ass. It wasn't really <laughs> in keeping with the what is spirit of Earthborn Rangers. <laughs> What's a thumper? Uh, so an Orlin thumper is like a piece of gear that you can equip. And I believe it delivers some sort of uh, pulse, uh, like an energy wave or something that can knock back targets. Um, I don't really know how it functions mechanically as a card, but it looks like a club. Yeah, it's kind of like a it's kind of like a stun baton almost. Mm. So you can kind of uh, hit things with it. It's uh, and uh, deliver you know, non-lethal jolts to kind of like deal with threats, yes. but not necessarily like kill them, right? Right. Is that is that kind of uh, one of the like aspects of this game? Is that it? There's not any puncturing of skin, death. You know what I mean? <laughs> is it is it kind of leaning towards a little more non-violent? That's kind of the vibe I was getting when I when I've looked at Kickstarter and whatnot. I think so. Yeah. I, yeah, Andrew, you can probably talk a bit about like how we feel about like the balance we want to strike with violence versus peacefulness in the valley. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I, you're you you definitely got the right sense, Anders. Um, yeah. That what we're going for is a a game where you you can, you know, resort to violence, but it's not the only option and it's not required. Um, and I think like, uh, lots of people when they, you know, sit down to play kind of their first instinct, just because of the way that cooperative card games, uh, that have come before work is everything that comes out of the deck and sits in front of you. You immediately look at is like, Oh, how do I get this thing out of here? How do I kill it? Um, and, uh, I think that's a really interesting, uh, I find that really interesting observation when I when I would demo the game for people is there's that that trained instinct that we have as gamers just to kind of just murder everything in our path. And I really mm-hmm. wanted to create a game that, uh, I don't know, just makes you think about that in, <laughs> for a minute and mm-hmm. <laughs> what that might imply. Uh, but also to create a game that uh, gives you an opportunity to uh, come at problems from a different from a different angle. So um yeah, especially in the early going, I, I tried to do lots of playthroughs where, uh, like, kind of pacifist playthroughs where I, you know, don't clear any, don't clear anything from harm, which is, you know, in basic terms, like putting damage on a on a being to, you know, get it out of there. Uh, mm-hmm. But that is, you know, that is, that is more challenging. You know, just like when you encounter dangers in life. Um, the the simpler solution might be just to murder the thing, but if you want to try to be compassionate uh, and uh, you know not shed any blood, that option's available. So, yeah, it's fun. It's, it kind of comes down to like how you want to play, what kind of character you want to play, and uh, how much of a challenge you're really looking for. Mm-hmm. Well, I think an interesting comparison is yeah, um, I- how this game is so similar to like RPGs. Um, in the way that you create your character and there's that trope uh, of RPG players who end up becoming like murder hobos <laughs> um, you know <laughs> what does that mean it, it it's like um, when players 
uh, roll up their characters and they in- enter the role-playing world and they just live, they don't have a place to call home and they just resort to violence all too often. So they just are kind of this moving force of destruction <laughs> across the land and they mm-hmm. become less, it's less about being heroes and more about just mayhem. Yeah. Getting out like that pent up, uh, stuff that we all have maybe kind of like when you're playing Skyrim (laughs) and you save before you go into a village just so you can like, like wreak havoc, you know, do some (laughs) dragon shouts and stuff and then reload your game. And like none of the, you know, villagers remember all the destruction you've caused. (laughs) I don't think any of us have ever done anything that weird, man. Oh man. (laughs) Yeah. That's, that's just, that's just you, Evan. I don't know what you're talking about. What about the guy that always mentions, uh, the cloud district in, uh, white run or whatever <laughs> he's so annoying is that someone in earthborn <laughs> no in, in skyrim. No, skyrim sorry i'm going off track skyrim. <laughs> i didn't put an arrow in your knee <laughs> coming in hot with those t- 2010 memes yeah i know 2011 actually. Oh, yeah. 2011 yeah sorry <laughs> <laughs> so evan what 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 else have you been working on I think um yeah yeah uh so I've been uh, working with, like we mentioned at the last episode, I've started to work with a lot of artists and that's ramped up even more since then. Uh, so I think half of my day, my working day is devoted to feedback, um, giving artists feedback on their sketches or uh, art at different stages of completion. Um, and I usually run that stuff by Andrew and we both look at it together. And, um, and it's really time consuming to just like, um, point something out and then be like, well, how do I convey this to the artist in a meaningful way? So a lot of time is spent like composing messages and finding the right reference material and making sure that I'm eloquent enough, uh, to convey, um, what I'd like them to change. And, uh, it's been working out really good so far. Um, and I gotta say like all the artists that we're working with are, super receptive to feedback. I I'm kind of new to this role where I'm dealing like having an art direction position. Um, so I'm always approaching it. Like, can you please like, I'm sorry, uh, make this change, please. Thank you. And they're just like, sure. Yeah, that's fine. Um, Mm -hmm. and I realize I'm dealing with professionals and I'm, and I'm like, yeah, they're used to that. Like this is part of the job. So yeah. And then the other half of my day is, um, doing my own art. Um, and that's been mainly, uh, I've been doing like a lot of the path card art. The path cards are the cards that are made when rangers are traveling between locations. Um, so there's like features and beings and interesting things to encounter. And um, so I'm trying to get as many of those path illustrations off my plate as possible so I can circle back to the ranger cards, which some artists are already working on right now and help them out. Um, so it's like, I'm, I'm kind of just moving around and trying to fill in where I'm, where I'm needed and trying to be as productive with my own work as possible. Um, I just finished a piece called the Spiderline stanchion, which is a feature in the mountain pass deck. Um, and it's like a cool zip line network, um, that rangers can utilize to zip around the valley um and it's represented as this like two-tiered uh i don't know support with like 
weird energy beams that represent zip lines and you can ride them. <laughs> I think they're energy fun. beams at the moment. They were. Yeah. Yeah. So we've got right now are kind yeah, of yeah. Like these cool thin yep. energy beams. Yeah. We're just making this stuff up as we go kind of sometimes, not all the time, but I mean, I, I initially started with just conventional zip lines and Andrew was like, oh, let's just see something more interesting. So it became energy beams mm. and it's way cooler. Yeah, it's been the that's been one of the really fun parts is you know, we have all this lore uh, to work from, you know, that that uh, that Sam put together. But um, then, you know, since we're, you know, in complete control over the, the IP and the visuals, like if there's an opportunity to make something cool, we'll just we'll just make it and then we'll revise the lore to match. So, well, yeah, yeah, it's, re- it's mean, resulted in some really cool stuff. The rule of cool. <laughs> yeah, the rule of cool. I mean, that's why we have art directors, right? Because I think if we reach the point where we think something is great, good enough, probably could be a little better. And we're probably not going to tell ourselves that, right? <clears throat> and there's a really neat, um, like, intersection where, like, I throw uh, an art brief at an artist that was composed as a result of a discussion that Andrew and I had. And I have a bunch of reference material. And at a certain point, it's up to them to just freely interpret that. Um, and I think a really cool success story that I feel like I've most recently had was the artist who did the um, location art for Meadow. Meadow is like a farming town and it's surrounded by this um, field of tall grass that's called the Whispering Fields. Um, and a lot of creatures can hide in the tall grasses and um the walk, the paths that lead to and from the valley are these foot trails that are probably about as wide as, um, you know, two people walking side by side, I guess. So mm-hmm. it just, I went into the art brief with not a strong impression in my mind of what the place looked like. And then by the time I was done with it, I was, I felt like I could like live there and visualize everything. And then when the artist like turned around, like the finished product, it was just, I was just blown away. And it was, it's super cool just to see someone else make the final push and realize something, you know, and they do things that you didn't expect and it enriches the world. So it's been really Mm -hmm. fun and gratifying. And that's cool. How, so I always wonder when I'm looking at things like games or anything where there's tons of art and there's probably multiple artists working on it. Like how hard is it to, to get like a consistent style? Like as an artist, I I'll look at something and I'll, like some card deck of cards and see like, Oh, different artists clearly did this one. Like how, how much are you like pushing for it to, to all look like it was maybe done by one artist? Um, that is a, a push that I'm going to have to do. Like I'm probably going to have to, um, that's a thing I'm going to have to be more aware of as more like Ranger art comes in. Um, because at the moment there isn't a whole lot of, uh, finished art that, um, is like looking that is there isn't like finished art that's complete yet that looks like my style. So I really haven't, it's kind of the, the jury's out still. So, but um, we put a lot of time in selecting artists that uh, fit the mold, I suppose. And um, so we'll just have to wait and see, I guess uh, this, it's definitely been a learning process for me. So um, moving forward, I'm sure I'll, have some lessons that I've learned to fall back on uh, when we come out with future expansions and stuff like that. 
So well, I, I think really, you know, when, when you do a card game of this size, like there, there needs to be a spectrum. Like it, you, you, it's just, it's not practical uh, to have all the art look the same unless, you know, Evan does everything and it just takes, you know, three years to complete. So, <laughs> mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. which, you know, it's not, it's not at least, have you seen that? Spreadsheet? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think, you could, I think three years is, I think you could do it. I don't know if you'd want to do it, but uh, I think you could. Um, but uh, yeah, t- to me, it's, you know, what, like everyone was saying, I was like, we just need to, you know, find, find artists that, you know, fit in that spectrum that we're, that we feel like is a, is a good, uh, representation of the visual look and you know obviously evan's work is the touchstone for that so everything needs to look good with his art and i think um you know all the artists that we've uh, begun working with i think uh fit that mold really well um but we've definitely made it more challenging for ourselves because we have a more distinct look um that's unlike kind of the work that everyone else is doing like if you look like like, like magic the gathering or you look at like flesh and blood um or like arkham horror the card game um all all those games are like super super art intensive and so so many cards uh but the style of art is more ubiquitous um where you can find a lot of people who do that kind of thing you can't necessarily you know immediately find a lot of people that do stuff that's similar to um what evan created for uh for the kickstarter and you know the look that we want for the game, um, so that's been a challenge. But I think you know, so far it's uh, like helped us kind of hone in on a few people that um, I think really you know fit exceptionally well. And um, you know, we'll need to continue to to widen that uh, search and you know cast cast a larger net um, to get some more people in, especially you know over the years and we do more and more expansions. Um, but I feel like. The more success we have and the more that we can kind of point to the art that we've already created, the easier that's going to become. Totally. Well, that wraps up Evan's news for the week, right? Anything <laughs> yeah, else you want to so. share? Yeah. I wish that I was, could share things. I wish I could just share things like visually with everybody, but I could talk about be spoiling things. Yeah, we might be able to do that. You know, since we're you know trying out some video, we we could maybe try to like intersperse sure. artwork. Yeah. That could be cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And you know, we're also we're you know we'll get into it. Like this is this actually goes with my little bit, so I can talk about it. You know, we're we're going to be doing more promotion, uh, as especially as we get closer to you know launching the pre-order store. And the pre-order store gets up, and so we'll be sharing art. We could coordinate too yeah. with uh, what we post on social media with what we talk about here. That could be. Right. Give the listeners, that. the viewers, like something to tune in for. Sneak yeah. Peeks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah Behind totally. the scenes, sneak peek. <laughs> I'm I'm excited to see some of that stuff. Um, so we're kind of segueing into you, Andrew. Um, tell us about what's going on. Yeah. So I, these uh past couple of weeks, most of my time has been taken up with uh talking to backer kit and uh stripe support about credit card issues that some people have been having um yeah it's awesome is this what you dreamed of (laughs) it's it's you know what it's i'm i'm grateful i'm grateful to have the problem that people want to give us money um it's uh and and it's it's a bummer that some of them are having difficulty uh, giving us money because of the issues they're experiencing but um uh no it's it's good and i i uh 
you know, I, I like interfacing with the customers, uh, with the backers, uh, interfacing. It's like a terrible word. I like, <laughs> I like chatting with them. <laughs> interfacing. Uh, yeah, interface <laughs> with the customer. I like, you know, chatting with them on email, you know, even though it's, uh, sometimes they're, they're having problems. Um, that's, it's, it's fun, especially when I can solve their problems. Um, but, uh, yeah, the challenging thing is this has been an issue where there's not really an awesome solution that I can do. Um, it's just like the issue that some people have been having with like European banks. And I've gotten even more information today about that. But essentially what, it's, what it boils down to is that when people are, when some people are putting in their uh, information to uh, complete their transaction on Backerkit, their bank is flagging that transaction as fraud. So, mm. uh, and that can be for a multitude of reasons. Um, I had a backer reach out uh, today because uh, I talked about this in the um, in the Kickstarter update, uh, kind of sharing their perspective on it. And um, you know, from their from their perspective, they're like, "Yeah, this is a problem that Kickstarter and backer could have because it's easy to use uh, other people's cards for trend, for things like this." Um, mm. So uh, so yeah, so what it really boils down to is that those banks are flagging these transactions as frauds uh, as fraud, and you have to just go to your bank and say, Hey, this isn't fraud. Um, please, please authorize this payment. Uh, which isn't awesome because, uh, you know, if you were to tell me, I need to go talk to my bank about anything, I just like, oh, please no anything but that. Um, yeah. But who knows? Maybe this is a problem with my bank. Um, and other people mm. have awesome banks. Uh, you gotta, you gotta stick with your hometown bank. Like I do. I yeah. Like, do you have like a, like a, dude a somewhere? My bank is called Lake area bank. Ever heard of that one? No, is it just the area around the lake? <laughs> it's in White Bear Lake where I grew up. Yeah, just <laughs> there's one in Forest Lake as well. And you know, I call them up and they say hello. So you know, oh. you don't get that with U.S. Bank. I'm oh, that's amazing. <laughs> but yeah, then you I, know, for a while I had to like drive out to White Bear to deposit a physical check and all that. But now they have, you know, the the take a picture of your check and they'll yeah. deposit it that way. But yeah, Lake Area yeah, yeah. Bank guys. Yeah, it's you know it'd probably be preferable <laughs> to what I'm, mm-hmm. I'm dealing with. Um, yeah, so that's been a lot of my week uh, <laughs> dealing with that. But I think we're finally on the on the uh, on the tail end of that. And I think one of the things I wanted to do was get that sorted out before we launch the pre-order store, um, because uh, you know the last thing I want is for you know new people to be coming in and then experiencing this problem. Because uh, right. that's not great. So now that I think I understand, I've got my head wrapped around it, and then I, I feel like I understand it about as well as I can. Um, I'm feeling better about that. Uh, yeah. So we'll, we'll we've gotten a lot of people reach out and say, "Hey, you know, I, I you know heard about your project late. I want to, you know, I'd love to love to support you guys. So mm-hmm. way I can do that. And you know, for the past several months, I've just been you know sending them to the send them to the website to sign up for the, uh, to the mailing list where we'll let everyone know, um, once, uh, once it launches, but I think, um, I think we're getting pretty close. We just need to coordinate with our, uh, our, uh, publishing partners in, uh, Italy and Germany. We're going to try to get all of our pre-order stores, I think up simultaneously. I have a meeting, uh, later this week with the, um, marketing person at Frosted Games. We're going to talk about that a little bit more. Um, but yeah, my hope is, well, my hope was, is that we'd already have it up in January. Um, <laughs> but you know, like I said, it, since we've been having these issues, I'm kind of glad we didn't launch it. Um, but, uh, hopefully we'll have that, uh, by the end of February, um, is, is the goal now. So, uh, you know, stay tuned, uh, follow us on social, mm. sign up to the mailing list, find out if you're, uh, looking to uh, pre-order or a late pledge. 
that's exciting. Yeah. Yeah. It is exciting. Mm Um, yeah. So the, you know, the other thing I've been doing, I've been, uh, in December, um, I started working with a, uh, consulting firm called all about games, which, uh, is staffed primarily or entirely by former asthma day people. So, you know, people that I've worked with before, uh, who reached out or interested in working with us and, um, they're helping with our, uh, manufacturing and also with, uh, finding, uh, foreign publishers for, uh, to, to localize and, uh, and, and do the game in other languages. So that's pretty exciting. And, um, since bringing them on board, they've been really active in, you know, helping us get a handle on, uh, manufacturing and got some really good leads. I have a new, new quote from Ludafact, which is pretty good. We have a quote from, uh, from a factory in, uh, in Poland, um, that I hear is, is, is also pretty promising. Um, and, uh, I had been talking to uh, a rep at a um, uh, domestic printer because we've committed to print domestically um, uh, called Delano in Michigan. And uh, I was getting really worried because I I hadn't heard from them in a couple months. And, you know, they'd given us a really great quote. And that's really why I felt really confident going into the Kickstarter about, you know, uh, making regional manufacturing a thing. Because I had this great quote, it seemed like I had a good relationship with the uh, with the rep at Delano, um, and then he just kind of then they just the emails just kind of stopped coming. I'm like, oh man, did we just get like ghosted by Delano? <laughs> Starting <laughs> mm-hmm. to worry. What did I say? Worry about it? <laughs> yeah, I know. I, the last thing I said to him, I think, on our call was like, hey man, I really appreciate you, and I you know I really am looking forward to like having like a long relationship. You know, oh, you got too needy. The, yeah, that's right. <laughs> I, Moving too fast. Yeah, I proposed. I proposed too early. Um, <laughs> you to put a ring on it. Yeah, I tr- you know, I tried, uh, but um, uh, but then you know there was just nothing. So um, I was I was worried, and so I you know I finally sent a uh, follow up email a few weeks ago that then you know all about games didn't chime in on too, and then. Uh, heard back, which was great. Um, and but mm. the the sales rep had left the company and didn't bother to tell me. Oh, so uh, oh dang, yeah. So that wasn't awesome, but I was pretty happy to hear back. Uh, and then you know then received more emails from Delano in the space of like three days than I had in like the previous three months. So right, right, uh, yeah. So that was that's pretty good. So we have a quote coming in from them too. So we'll we'll see how it goes. But you know, so far. Um, so far, it's looking really good. Like we're uh, we're good on FSC, the, the Ford Stewardship Council uh, certification on all the paper um, in the game, and uh, that's pretty awesome. Um, we're quoting out uh, recyclable cards, um, so that's something that I've talked about a lot in the past. Where you know the the standard cardstock for a lot of card games uh, of, of this nature has a, uh, a black core to it, which is, so these black core cards are essentially, you know, two pieces of paper glued together with a big wad of adhesive in the middle. Um, but that big wad of adhesive in the middle makes those cards impossible to recycle. Um, Cause it's just like trying to recycle glue. Mm-hmm. Uh, so um, that card stock is in really high demand from what I hear. Uh, but the cardstock we're going for, which is just as thick, it should be just as durable. Um, it doesn't have a core. is in uh, is in less demand, so that's good because um, there's been some you know paper shortages, supply shortages, 
Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, so yeah, so everything I think is going well. The only thing that has been challenging and I think is going to continue to be, to be a challenge is a solution for, uh, packaging the game for transport, um, which is, you know, the default is always shrink wrap, like shrink wrap is on mm-hmm. everything. And, uh, I've talked to him about like doing like biodegradable shrink wrap because that's the thing that exists. You can just Google it and find it. But mm-hmm. um, according to them, it's not or the manuf- the printers. It's not something that's really made for their machines, so they can't necessarily <laughs> get it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think we can continue to push them on that and, and see you know what what our options are. But uh, but that's the challenge. So we're trying to figure out like how to how to protect the box so it doesn't get mm-hmm. all scuffed up and jacked up uh, in transport. Um, and I think, uh, I think the best idea we have right now is maybe doing a sleeve, like a paper sleeve. Mm, um, mm-hmm. but, uh, but yeah, that's the, that's the big challenge because, you know, I, I want to do, if we can achieve like zero, um, single use plastics, I mean, that's the goal. Uh, that'd be awesome. Um, right. but I don't know if we ultimately end up having to compromise and have just this one, that's okay, I guess. Uh, mm-hmm. I'd, I'd be di- I'd be a little disappointed, and we can continue to work toward not having that in the future. Um, but yeah, right now that's the only hurdle because we can have paper wrap around the uh, the cards in the box. Um, the machines can do that now, which is pretty sweet. Mm-hmm. So uh, so yeah, so yeah. it's looking pretty good. I think. Knock on wood. I think you should design the box with the intention of it being looking better, dinged up. right like you talked about the old hobbit cover those probably all look yeah pretty raggedy by now yeah or you could just make it look like shit or make it look like shit super scuffed up (laughs) i'm i have kind of a problem with that because i i used to work in like um scrapbooking doing like paper products and patterns and stuff things to help people make their scrapbooks look way cooler I guess. Mm-hmm. But the whole thing about those was to make them look old with like digital like stains and wear and tear and yellowing on the edge. It was right. is a very strange practice like making something. I I took a little bit of that knowledge in when I worked on Arkham Horror the LCG <laughs> cuz <laughs> those cards look kind of like old and dated or whatever, but I don't know if I can really bring myself to do that to this box. Yeah. I think that's you the wouldn't... age naturally. Yeah, it'll age on, on in transport from the factory to the store to the people's house, you know, because there's no, there's not going to be any saran or cellophane on it. I think we should use um like linen bags or something. <laughs> oh, oh sure, cool. you just you know um, raise the price by another ten dollars for that linen bag. I don't see. I that's why I don't handle the money. I, I thought those would be really cheap. Evan's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> like solid gold, coated in gold. <laughs> Can we use Fabergé eggshells for packaging? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I think the last, so the last bit of uh, news on manufacturing, um, we have uh, we got updated near final sculpts for the uh, for the reclaimed pewter uh, ranger miniatures. Um, and those are looking really awesome. So we should see physical samples. Uh, I was just chatting, uh, chatting with those guys today. Um, we should see, see physical samples, hopefully, before the end of this month. Um, so I'm pretty excited cool. about that. Uh, That's really cool. 
I'm yeah, excited. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think they're looking awesome. So um, I'm really looking, really looking forward to being able to show people images of the mm-hmm. actual thing instead of instead of just a, like a computer render because I feel like that's the like I, I was talking to Fisher about this like a couple of weeks ago. It's like as a miniatures person, like I would I would never buy a miniature based on a on a render um, <laughs> unless I was very confident. Uh, in the company that's making it, like, you know, if GW showed me a render, I'd be like, oh, yeah, cool. Or, you know, um, mm-hmm. because like the the final product is never really matches the. Well, in some places, like I said, if, if you're if you're going with like a known quantity, you can be very confident. Like, you know, GW's miniatures are just beautiful and, you know, you're going to be getting like a, a really well made uh, product. Um, mm-hmm. So I would feel totally confident in that. But like. If you're like looking at, hey, there's this card game, and here's these renders for this for these miniatures that are, uh, you know, it's like stand-ins for your for your ranger token, and they're going to be cast in pewter. Uh, I, I I immediately become skeptical as to whether or not that detail is going to hold up and how it holds up, and then what the final product will look like. So I feel like, you know, I'm hopeful, you know, that once we get those in, um, you know, they're going to look amazing, and then that'll uh, maybe you know bring some more people over to to jump on those miniatures because the, the designs are awesome. So, uh, and you know, like I've said multiple times, it, I, I, I'm a much, very much a, <laughs> I've, I've been into miniatures for, I don't know, 35 <laughs> years. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I, I dig them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, since I, you're like 25 years old. Yeah. Right. <laughs> uh, so, um, uh, so like I really care about the quality. So uh, you know we're not going to do anything that's not you know high quality. But I I also want to see like how those come out because like it's been a long time since I've since I've held a metal mini- miniature in my hand. Everything's just moved to plastic. So I'm pretty excited about that too because I uh, there's something about a metal miniature that just feels better. Um, oh, yeah. Like just the heft is nice, mm-hmm. and especially when you're playing like a tabletop miniatures game. I think like having like that metal that like that big metal thing that just has weight on it. You're not going to accidentally knock it over. Or, How big uh, are these bad boys? Yeah, some of them are pretty huge. The, the, <laughs> the miniatures that we're doing are about uh, about 35 millimeters tall. Mm. I'm not Canadian. I so still have hard like feelings. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> I still have hard feelings about uh, pewter miniatures. I had a when I was a kid. I had this wood elf army. I mean, it was not, I, I, I won't say beautifully painted because I wasn't a very good painter, but I had, they had the, the tree men, which are these big living trees and it was all pewter. Mm. And this thing was a brick. <laughs> and of course, I'm a kid. I transport my army in a shoebox. <laughs> and uh, I don't remember the exact circumstances where the shoebox got shook around, but uh, imagine a pewter bowling ball just going through a, a <laughs> through a shoebox filled with your painted miniatures uh, it was a it was a disaster so I, I still have hard feelings about giant pewter miniatures yeah that's brutal <laughs> yeah i got this awesome uh it looked awesome the trying to put together was not awesome i got like this big uh, pewter um uh, black dragon D miniature like i don't know 25 years ago uh, I could not get that thing together. I could <laughs> not figure out how to make it go together. You have to assemble pewter miniatures. Yeah, you want to assemble ours, but you know those. Yeah, it's like okay. the whole process is just like. I mean, <laughs> assembly for plastic is like a thousand times better. Like I would, I would always 
you know, I take the time to like drill in with my little drill for the arm. Oh man. Put the, put in the post for the, for the arm. And then I'd drill into the arm itself and then I clip it and then I push it together and like mm-hmm. that over and over and over again. It's fun. Like that, that's the hobby of the, of that's the hobby. Like right. that's, that's the joy <laughs> mm-hmm. is, is that process. Um, <laughs> but yeah, when you switch I, over I was, the plastic, my face was that <laughs> my face was the joyous painting and playing them. I don't think anybody enjoys pinning their model and then watching it fall apart. Anyway. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I have plenty of miniatures that like they're they're just in storage. When I take them out, their arms just go and fall off. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but they're easy to fix. They're easy to fix. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, maybe we can debut the miniatures on this very podcast. Yeah, YouTube. yeah, that'd, that'd be, be awesome. Pretty cool. That would be awesome. So stay with us, folks. We'll be here every other week. Maybe you'll see some pewter. Some yeah. hot pewter. <laughs> <laughs> well, we kind of touched on the fact that Earthborn Games is uh, committed to uh, sustainability. Um, you, you talked about it just now a little bit. Um, especially in how, how you manufacture, it seems like you're very committed. Um, can you maybe tell me a little bit about like where that comes from like i'm not was there something in the way that games are manufactured that kind of you know rubbed you the wrong way and you wanted to do things differently yeah i mean it's something that um i would talk about a lot with uh, uh an old friend and, and co-worker of mine michael hurley who worked at uh was an executive at asthma day and and we'd kind of talk about um you know what we could do differently um just kind of like dreaming about it really because we're the we're so focused on the bottom line that like doing anything different is really really challenging um and you know even the big even the the larger games at that company um have to really push to try to to try to to do things differently more ecologically friendly um but uh you know when when he and i were talking you know early on about you know what we could what earthborn games could be um and then it just started to dawn on me, like how, if it's totally up to me, like what could we do? Um, if there's really nothing standing in the way, if there's no one to tell me, don't do that. That's too expensive. <laughs> um, so, uh, so yeah, so I was just trying to lean into doing like the most uncompromising version of the product that we could. And, um, you know, it chose a card game as our first product, because I felt like that was something that was definitely achievable, um, in, in this, uh, to, with this methodology where, you know, it's just paper so we can find responsibly sourced paper. Um, we don't have to worry about doing miniatures or, you know, dice or anything like that. Uh, it, it's, uh, so it's pretty straightforward production. Um, and I also wanted to, to produce domestically. So again, I felt like, you know, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of innovation and a lot of uh, expertise in um, in China, in particular, because of how much business they do uh, in our industry and the products that come out of there just look phenomenal and they keep getting looking better and better and better. Um, but since I wanted to avoid, since I wanted to avoid uh, doing production in China and you know shipping it across the globe on a boat and then you know putting it on a putting it on a train and then putting it on a truck and then moving that truck to another place to put it on another truck you know it's like (laughs) i wanted to try to cut out as many steps of those as as possible 
Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, so yeah, so that was another reason why, um, I think it, you know, I wanted to go with a card game because I felt like, sure, we could do that here. Like that's, we can, we can probably source that here, print that here and, and do all that. Um, and if I can't find someone who's, who's like a, a game publisher, which I have, which has been nice. Um, but I felt like we could probably educate a ambitious printer out there, uh, in how to do that. Um, so, so yeah, so all those things kind of just continued, like continued to evolve and move toward this, which eventually became the vision for, for Earthborn Rangers. It's been a, it definitely didn't like sprout out of my head exactly like it is now. <laughs> it's, it's evolved <laughs> for sure over time. Um, but yeah, that's kind of how we got here. And it kind of, it kind of fits the, the theme of the game itself, right? I mean, yeah. it's kind of, I mean, did that, did that inform the, the creation of the game? No. The other way around? Nope, no, neither. Yeah. I think that. It's an uh, environmentally conscious guy, probably. Yeah. I right. think like, <laughs> cause you know, I, in the back of my mind, I was, I was always kind of aware of like, you know, I think I spent a lot of time thinking about consumer products in my various roles, uh, mm-hmm. jobs and you know, thinking a lot about like how we package things, like why they're packaged that way. And, um, you know, it's consumer products in general are just incredibly wasteful. Like you you can, there's tons of data on this. Um, and you can see that like the amount of trash that we generate in, in the world, especially in this country has really just skyrocketed, um, since the idea of like shelf presence started to matter where you have to have packaging that looks cool so that you can sell your mm. thing on the shelf and the packaging might not have anything to do with what's inside the box or, mm-hmm. you know, it could be disproportionately gigantic uh, based on what's inside or like have all sorts of like plastic and stuff that, you know, like blisters and things that showcase whatever's inside. And uh, it's a big problem. Um, so, uh, so I, I, I've thought about like the work that I've, done and how it contributes to that and um you know i I felt like when i got out of there i i and if i were to do something different i'd want to do something that didn't negative negatively impact the environment in that way Mm -hmm. um so uh so yeah just you know just things i've been thinking about for years and years and years right that's really cool i love that um yeah it's kind of a conundrum i've thought about myself too as kind of you know i kind of a nerdy type of guy that likes to collect plastic figurines and all that. And then, you know, sometimes I look at them and I'm like, why, why was this ever made? Why do we need <laughs> this thing? You know, just, yeah. it's, it, yeah, it's tough. Like being into objects and art objects and stuff, you know, it's cool that you're thinking about how to do it in a way that, you know, allows us to not feel so guilty about it. Yeah. And uh, is there, is there anything you wanted to touch on like specifically that you've been been doing this this week i see something about flesh and blood oh yeah 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 well it's a great transition honestly into that (laughs) like uh so i um uh, i tweeted about this today as i was i you know if you follow follow us on on twitter you know that i don't tweet very often um yeah (laughs) (laughs) you do that more but i was moved to tweet today because i saw this awesome video um where uh and i'm sorry i can't i credit the credit the guy who did it but it was like a um this video where uh, a guy was looking at the, this. Uh, so Flesh and Blood is a collectible card game. Um, it, uh, it came on the scene about a year and a half ago, I think now. Um, 
hasn't been around very long, but it's uh, it's gotten a lot of steam uh, and uh, a lot of interest. And um, they announced a couple months ago that uh, their next set uh, would feature uh, recyclable 100% paper booster packs. And uh, I thought that was really cool uh, because, you know, collectible card games are fun. Opening booster packs is fun. But the wrappers they come in are terrible. <laughs> there's there's mm-hmm. nothing good about them. They're not recyclable. They're, they're just trash. And mm-hmm. y- when you you know get like a display of of magic cards or Pokemon cards, you end up you know creating this giant pile of refuse that just you know just goes straight to the landfill and it sucks. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, I was really excited to see that they were coming out with this. And uh, the video was really great. It talked about this uh, in like 2015. Magic tried to do a kind of like a, a box booster for one of their like smaller sets that apparently people didn't like because it ended up the cards ended up like kind of jiggling around in there and kind of banging up the sides, so they were getting mm-hmm. damaged. Um, so they went away from it. I don't think I don't know if they did it again. Uh, but that was a box, uh, which is kind of what we did for Keyforge for the first, uh, which is another you know card game that uh, we did at, at FFG. Where originally we put that in a box, but not be- out of ecological reasons. We put it in a box just because it was expensive, and we felt like we need to like sh- tell people like this is worth a little bit more than a normal booster pack. Um, uh, but that one also had cellophane on the inside, so it, the cards were still protected. But this is just like a standard booster pack that you might find for like Pokemon or Magic, but instead of uh, instead of being that plastic material, it's uh, it's paper. And um, so I watched a video for that today, where the guy was kind of like putting through its paces and like you know checking to see if because one of the one of the knocks or perceived dangers of a paper booster pack is this idea that you can see through the paper to the cards inside. Mm-hmm. To know like what's in there, which is problems we had with like the FFG booster packs for like Game of Thrones and and Call of Cthulhu. Like there was like white printed on them, you could totally see what was inside those packs. I don't know uh-huh. if anyone cared, um, <clears throat> yeah, which good, uh, but uh, but it looks great. Like in every way, it looks like a uh, like a like a normal booster pack. It looks like it has a nice uh, like a little bit of a sheen to it. So it probably has a, a dispersion like water based coating on it. I'm guessing because they say it's 100 percent recyclable, um, mm-hmm. and it looks like they actually open up maybe even easier and nicer than like opening up a magic booster. And it's at least based on the video, it sounds like they have a pretty satisfying sound to open, which is a big part, I think, of the <laughs> the experience mm-hmm. of opening booster packs. Right. Um, so anyway, I think that's really cool that uh, that they're doing that, and that they're, all of their um, all their sets going forward are going to use that technology. Uh, it, it's it's great, and like really, mm-hmm. there's there's honestly there's no excuse for Pokemon or or Wizards of the Coast to to not do this with their games. Um, mm-hmm. The only excuse is people like shiny things, so we're going right. to put this in a shiny pack because Foil it'll sell pack, it'll yeah. sell better. Um, which again goes back to my point about the problem with uh, with packaging consumer products. It's like it's all about pushing to make money. It's not they're not really considering anything apart from that. So um, no. So anyway, I hope this I hope this set does great. I hope they have con- continued success and that uh, those other companies take notice and 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 make a change. I actually went to the uh, uh, th- there's a few game stores around me. I went up to this one uh, that's only a few blocks from my house called Game Related. 
um, as I wanted to like get get some packs to to show uh, here, but it doesn't come out till Friday. So oh dang. Uh, yeah, so I'll uh, I'll go back there and I think uh, and uh, and get some of those packs. I haven't played, but you know I I want to help support them. I bought a couple uh, starters though. Um, awesome. I, I think it's great. So makes if, me uh, think of like old uh, like Topps baseball card packaging. Yeah. That was a little more whack, waxy. Yeah, they used to be wax the back wax in the paper. day. I, I don't know what uh, sports cards come in these days. Um, I think it's like the foil, is foil it? looking packs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Back when I did, it was wax. It still had gum in it. Yeah, stick <laughs> a nice hard stick of gum. Yeah, <laughs> oh, so gross. I'd chew it anyway. <laughs> my friend, uh, my friend's dad was like a crazy baseball card collector, and he had an entire room full of boxes of like 1967 tops or whatever. Where maybe Nolan Ryan's rookie card was in there or something. <clears throat> and we just like stole like a sixties entire box <laughs> and like went out in the alleyway and we're like trying to find like Roger Clemens rookie card and stuff. But I remember eating the gum from this like 30 year old uh, baseball card. It was probably still good. Oh, maybe a little dry. It was fine. It just kind of like disintegrated and you yeah. swallow it down. Like, uh, <laughs> I could, I could, feel, I, I could feel that. Know yeah, you know exactly. exactly I know exactly like. what that's like. <laughs> Although that old style asbestos chewing gum doesn't last very long, so <laughs> yeah, is that what, is that what's in it? <laughs> it's yeah, fiber, it never lasted fiberglass. long in the first place. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, well that's pretty cool. I want to see what those packs look like myself. Um, awesome. Well, we're going to be talking about other sustainability stuff i think every week um every other week um but for now let's move on to segment three which i like to call what's going on with you (laughs) where we're gonna talk (laughs) i'm gonna talk to you guys about just you know cool fun stuff stuff that's exciting you um or maybe nothing's exciting you and we'll talk about that too and we'll get to the root of that (laughs) um I participated in uh, the Global Game Jam this past week, oh, and it's my uh, second time uh, participating in that. Uh, last year, I teamed up with these guys in Philadelphia, and we did it all over Discord. Um, spent the weekend working on this funny little game in a, a program called Pico 8, and I got my hands dirty with programming, and I had a had a blast doing stuff that I wasn't com- usually comfortable with, but um, it was awesome. I, it's probably one of the most fun things I've done. Um, so this week, he asked, or this year, he asked me if I wanted to do it again. Uh, I was a little hesitant because I have a little baby, but I asked my partner and she said, go for it. So I spent some time with him on Discord and we made this little 8-bit looking game. Uh, the, the theme of the game jam was duality. Mm. Um, and the meeting they had, I, I wasn't able to go to the, the first meeting of, of our team and they decided on a dueling game, which I, at first I thought that's kind of obvious, but sometimes like the obvious, um, idea, you know, can, you can work with it and shape it into something a little more interesting than what is like, you know, seems obvious at first. So, um, I, we decided to go with this kind of eight bit retro aesthetic and i loved mike tyson's punch out when i was a kid i don't know if you guys ever played that oh yeah 
<laughs> I love just the simplicity. It, it, it's like a duel, you know, these two guys facing off. I love the like pattern recognition that goes on memorizing like each character's unique like tells. Um, I thought that would be like awesome for a, a dueling game. And uh, another main component was this dexterity bar that you see in a lot of older games like Mario Golf mm-hmm. where the, the red the red line goes up and down and you got to time it right. For some reason, that's just really fun. I don't know. It's like such a simple and kind of forgettable part of a game, but I've always found that really fun. Um, so we just try to like emphasize the dexterity bar aspect. Um, but a cool what's, thing that what's I What's the game called, Anders? Oh, it's called Pistols at Dawn. Um, I, I, after Andre started, I'm playing it right now. I want you to know that I've been shot and killed twice already. Yeah, (laughs) it's really hard. I played it yesterday, and I had the I had the the influences. I I the I had I didn't pick up on Punch Out right away, but the even the art really makes you yeah. That, Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but yeah, I had the same thought about like I was like, oh, this is like, you know, early '90s golf mechanics yes except right. way more stressful <laughs> well did you play it on your phone no i played it on my computer okay yeah it's it's pretty hard it well, is hard so- it's really hard i got to the third guy it's as good as i could get <laughs> so so i learned a new word no, I'm, I'm gonna streak right now <laughs> oh, <awesome. laughs> i love that you're playing it it's 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 way more fun than i thought it would be because we i learned a new word which is or a new acronym mvp minimum via minimum viable product is oh that yeah right? mm-hmm um, so that's yep. what we're going shooting for. Um, so it's really simple. So I wasn't expecting it to be fun, but just by happenstance, it, it's kind of fun. Yeah. Um, I like plans. Yeah. I like that the second character had two blindfolds or two, <laughs> two eye patches. That's my, that's my creativity there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, speaking of that, the, uh, the opponent, I love the animation and how like even the pistol, their brandishing is just kind of like floppy or whatever Flaccid, and kind of uh, moving in like it's like a piece of rubber. It's kind of <laughs> like when you do the pencil trick where you kind of make yeah. it look like the pencil's rubbery. Yep. I, I was also going to draw a comparison to a game that probably no one here has heard of. Um, but uh, it reminded me of the battle system or whatever. reminded me of Shining Force. Have you ever heard of that? It came out for Sega oh. Genesis. No one heard of it. Oh, it, it's I'm like a, know. oh, what do you call it? It's like. It's like an RPG, like a top-down tactics-based RPG. And every time you get into a battle, it cuts to like a like a battle scene where your character is in the foreground, and then they attack an uh, enemy that shows up in the background. And it, it was like exactly the same. The oh, really? Yeah, you got it. You sent link. link yeah, yeah, check. Yeah, I'm all about just kind of uh, copying that stuff and making it as authentic looking as possible. I was just gonna say one one cool thing that I learned is that um, how, how world building, even if it doesn't end up in the final product, how, how important that is. Because we did so much, um, one of the guys brought his brother in who doesn't do anything on games, but he's a writer. And we spent so much time just creating this backstory for this duel, like, <laughs> and, and looking into history, into 18th century duels, and dueling itself is so fascinating. You know, A lot of people didn't actually die when they dueled it was it was not like especially in that period the intention wasn't to kill the other person it was kind of just uh they would just both point their guns at each other and fire at the same time and whoever drops is the loser 
and maybe they, you know, maybe just hit some, their shoulder and guns at that time were not very powerful. So less than half of people actually died from it. Um, huh. Maybe they get lead poisoning or something, but <laughs> I'm sure just it wasn't that, fun. that era, yeah, it wasn't fun, but you know, it settled the dispute and uh, you know, that era has just like a bunch of funny, like insults, you know, a British, you know, that aristocratic kind of look is just ridiculous. These guys shooting guns at each other and like these powdered makeup and wigs and stuff. But, you know, we had this whole backstory They're They're in Malta, which, you know, you wouldn't know. We don't, there's no dialogue, but all this stuff like went into the art. And I feel like it just, it kind of, it's, it's, uh, it's aura is in the game still. So, well, the, the main character there exuded an abundance of dignity, which I thought was really funny. So that, the, that came through. <laughs> the 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 player character yeah 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 right yeah and when he dies it's a little tragic i think <laughs> yeah it's very sad. i like when he reloads his gun <laughs> <laughs> oh that was how scary the would that be oh no i missed that's not really realistic i don't i don't feel like they reloaded they just took one shot and that oh. was that <laughs> yeah. um what was i gonna say uh one of the most fun parts of making that was doing the the bad voiceover do you remember like in, yeah. in 8-bit Nintendo games how the, the voice sounded really like muffled and... Yeah, double dribble. Tot- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I did did some voice acting for that. Skater Die had that yeah. too. Yeah, just... <laughs> yeah. Mario making a cameo so- and punch out <laughs> when you when you win. <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> is it like Chiptune? Is that what it's called? Or is that I don't know music? how they did it. I don't know how they did it. They, they probably converted... Chiptune is the name of... yeah music of that yeah. that era <laughs> but that's what i've got that's what i've i've been doing it was, it was awesome. great work yeah yeah <laughs> check it out where, where where can people find that yeah check out um horse honey games on itch.io that's my little fake uh, studio name horse honey <laughs> i know that did we talk about this in a previous conversation at some point on skype or something but there's a uh there are people that actually like port their games onto like Nintendo cartridges and they can be played that way and like swapped yeah. and traded and stuff. Yeah, I think that's pretty neat. That. I don't know if you could do that with your cartridges, I, but, or I mean your games, but that'd be really it's a, fun. It's a really like small file size that you can put on a Nintendo cartridge. It's like under a megabyte or something crazy like that. Oh, oh wow. Man. Um, so there's a whole documentary about this game, micro mages, it's a really cool documentary. Check it out. They they made a game using all the same like software that the early Nintendo guys Neat. used. I love they, that. They put out a cartridge, yeah. A new cool. Nintendo game like two or three years ago. But that's me. Um Fisher, you said you've done some game jams before. Right? Yeah, yeah. I was I was actually gonna prompt you. So you said you did it for global game jam. So for, for those listeners who might not know. Can you give a the quick elevator pitch of what is Global Game Jam? I don't fucking know. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> just, That's our first just, swear word in this episode. I just do the drawings, man. No, uh, it, it's a uh, it's a game jam. Is you usually have I think like forty eight hours to create an entire game, and and without COVID, you would go to a lo- local place with a bunch of other people, and you'd kind of create your teams on the spot you'd talk to people maybe you'd have a friend or two that you want to work with so you'd find like a musician an artist a designer and i think 
early on they would actually make physical games more frequently i don't know more often than making it's it's usually games. been mostly digital oh, okay some sites will have like a tabletop game or two but uh it's it's a mostly digital game jam okay cool and i think global game jam is maybe the biggest one because it's not just a local thing a bunch of local spots will do it simultaneously did i explain it pretty well yeah all around the globe <laughs> yeah it's super fun i i highly recommend it finding a local chapter i think there's one in minneapolis yeah, the in Minneapolis we have the uh, IGDA runs one, the International Game Developers Association, the local branch runs one. Mm. Um, That's awesome. But yeah, like you said, I've I've uh, done a couple game jams myself. Uh, we actually ran a game jam uh, back when I was at Fantasy Flight Games. We did a big company wide game jam um, where I, I I talked the powers that be, which I'm pretty sure was Andrew. Yeah, at I think the time, it was me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> into uh, basically putting pause on all development for a couple days um and everybody in the studio kind of came together and instead of doing our normal jobs <laughs> um we gave out random topics to different groups we i created groups randomly and then we assigned these random topics to these random groups and so the groups were kind of designed to pull people from all sorts of disciplines all that normally don't work with each other across the studio into these small groups and they just had to make a game prototype within just a couple of days. Um, and so, and so we did that and, um, I don't know if any one of the games that we made at the game jam, uh, did or will ever make it to actual print, but like the exercise was incredibly valuable, right? Like game development is fundamentally a creative art and this just created all this creative energy um, I, I, all the way through, through my time at the company and even afterwards, I've gotten like thanked and complimented on that game jam from people at the company because ideas from individual games would make it into other games. Mm -hmm. I guarantee you, you have played a game. If, if you played an FFG game, you've probably felt the influence of ideas that came out of that jam from people working together. So mm -hmm. while no one product made it to the shelf, lots of like creativity was kind of spurred from this and a lot of smaller ideas kind of were generated at this jam that made it into games. Uh, I think one of the benefits of it, uh, one kind of the constraints of the time and limited resources force creativity. Um, and then two, it gives you this kind of like unstructured time away from like maybe the looming deadlines or, you know, uh, uh, months and months of work that go into your main project to just be, creative in a really unfettered way mm -hmm. which can really kind of like change the way your brain is approaching problems and give you a new perspective so i think that like for people who are interested in making games game jams can be really valuable both from like a practice perspective of actually getting something done if, if you're tr only getting into games but also kind of shaking loose your creativity if you're already into games um so if people out there are interested in them, I highly recommend checking them out. Uh, you know, obviously Global Game Jam just ended, um, but there are other ones like uh, Ludum Dare is a common one that people do. Um, and I think uh, the YouTube channel Game Makers Toolkit mm -hmm. has been doing a game jam each year that's gotten huge. Yeah. Uh, I, I think they crashed itch this last year <laughs> so <laughs> when they did it. I, I um, really enjoyed that experience. I um, I got to have some unique insight into like the game design process. Cause as a graphic designer at the time, I just, you know, was given um, 
finished or almost finished games to pretty up as well as I could. Um, but I got paired up with uh, Nate French um, and we made this, our team made this like cool poker game because he's like, he's like a poker player. Um, and it was good. fun he's to just a very good poker player. Yeah. And when we finally landed on like a fun mechanic that put a spin on the whole concept of um, like poker or trick taking or whatever, um, I just saw his, I just saw his expression change and his something, his mind shifted and he was just into this different mode of thinking. Um, and he's, it was just mm-hmm. really satisfying to see like how he would all of a sudden become an thoroughly engrossed and invested in something once there's some once he once there's like a foothold he could grab onto then then he just took it it was really cool oh man yeah that is so cool it's just it it's true that creativity is really like at its peak during these these things i've done and and people kind of switching roles doing multiple things and like shining and something that you wouldn't expect you know it's it's super exciting it's one of my favorite creative create creative projects i've done yeah um does anybody else want to talk about what they're what they're into anybody excited about anything maybe fisher (laughs) yeah yeah i i I could talk a bit about what what i've been playing I, i i didn't know how long do we intend to go with our with our episode here i um Oh, we can just get through. A couple what's what's cool what's our rough what's our rough timetable? <laughs> oh, I, I think let's, I think let's just, just all share. Yeah, we're almost yeah, we'll, there. We'll share. We'll just share one thing you're into. Yeah, we got you guys. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, yeah, I've been playing. Uh, I'm you know I haven't been doing it. all my creative creative time is at work. So when I when I uh, when I get done working on Rangers, I've been playing a lot of games lately. Um, I actually just started playing through Hitman. Uh, the game where you play the bald assassin agent 47 <laughs> they they the, the trilogy of kind of since the reboot uh so like starting in 2016 there have been three games and those three just launched on xbox game pass last week i love watching so i love I've been watching playing through that those game. i love watching people play that game i've played it like a little bit because it wasn't as fun as watching it <laughs> <laughs> yeah just to kind of see how everything comes together yeah yeah, I think what really fascinates me about the game, and actually, in one way, it, it has, strangely, it has something kind of in common with Earthborn Rangers, even if the subject matter is wildly different. Um, and it is, so each level in the game is kind of this little sandbox that uh, kind of has what I think some people have referred to as clockwork game design. So it is it'll be like an event like the first level is a you're at a fashion show and there's all sorts of people with different like levels of access or places they're supposed to be at different times and this whole level kind of plays out in this kind of choreographed dance of this fashion show that is going on and there's all sorts of way that ways that you as agent 47 can get in there put on different disguises to get access to different areas and just kind of tip the events to change in different ways that cause this cast cascade that you can then exploit to you know ultimately kill your targets but also do other things and there's all these little mini plot lines that are going on at these events that all kind of intersect in different interesting ways and so it's kind of like the inner workings of a clock is you know like all the gears and of of the internals of a clock is why they call it clockwork game design and it's really kind of fascinating it feels like this living event but that also you can go and have control over 
And it was really striking me while I was playing it because a lot of what happens in the internals of a single Hitman level is like what we're striving to recreate in like using our campaign guide from earlier in the valley. And that is this feeling of this kind of sandbox that is a living, breathing place that is going about and there's different people with their different stories. And you as the Rangers are here and, you know, you're not here to... (laughs) kill somebody (laughs) but you are here to kind of like uh change things and figure out what it means to be a ranger and what it means to kind of like be a steward of the valley and exert your will on the valley in different ways and so we're trying to create this place that feels like you have control over it but also feels like its own living breathing place that will carry on without you as well and so i've actually been seeing a lot of parallels between the design of these hitman levels kind of mastering them, getting all the 29 different ways to assassinate people and kind of seeing all the inner workings with how we're trying to structure inner workings in our campaign guide. I I think Hitman has some benefits by being an entirely digital game. They can really obscure things from the players that our campaign guide might not be able to do because, you know, it's a physical artifact that they have to read. But I'm hoping to kind of evoke some of those same feelings that Hitman evokes. Cool. Cool. So we're going to have a Helmut Kruger uh, NPC. (laughs) (laughs) Helmut. (laughs) Have your your ranger put on uh, makeup and walk the fashion runway. (laughs) Isn't there a way to like take someone up by throwing a briefcase over your head or something like that? Or is that a different game? Sounds like it. Oh, I'm sure. There's so many ways. ways. Just Just the first level has like they have little achievements for different ways to assassinate people <laughs> and the first level has 29 different ways oh, to 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 kill people yeah wow you just got me interested in this i've i've always just thought uh you know killing people i'm kind of done with that but that sounds pretty amazing actually <laughs> i'll be down <downloading laughs> well like that andrew later. said it's 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 <laughs> Also, uh, you know, that sound bite of killing people, that sounds kind of interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me more. Take it out of context that... Uh... <laughs> yeah, I never thought about that. Yeah, pretty novel idea Just... for a game. <laughs> yeah, very novel. But no, like Andrew said, uh, you can check out people playing it. Um, it's uh, people watching the, somebody the who kind of knows the level and knows what they're doing is pretty mm. cool. That mm. is one of my f- most favorite things to watch on YouTube is people who are really good at games playing games speed runs are so entertaining to watch especially when it's a game that you've played and you've your mind is continually blown by how quickly they exploit broken mechanics to like get through a level (laughs) i just don't like thinking about what these people's lives are like you know like that's got to be all they ever do or they're just yeah i don't know i've been I, I've been I've been start. losing a lot at video games, so I I would bar- I could borrow some of their expertise. Yeah. <laughs> um, Evan, let's let's move over to you. Let's let's yeah. hear what you're into. Um, I haven't really had a lot of time for video games. Uh, like Fisher said, um, been really busy with Earthborn, and um, so when I do like have time after work, I usually just like lately I've been just shifting right here. And like working on my craft worlds, Eldar army because of Ooh. all of the upcoming releases that are slated for this year. Uh, it got me back into it. They get, they pulled me back in. So I'm trying to finish painting the crucial um, 
tent poles of my army, like the HQ and the, uh, here I got to Yeah. Show, show that off. I got a little spirit seer right here that I finished painting. Oh, that's great. I draw the line oh, at yeah. trying to do gems though. Um, I just, I can't do it. So <laughs> he just has solid teal, uh, like jewels. Oh, you're not doing like the little shine mark. No, I like, I, I know how to do it. It's just a little dot. I, well, okay. I tried it. Let's see. I think I tried it with this guy. Maybe you can tell. I don't know. Boys, this is is great audio right here. Yeah. He's holding (laughs) up a, holding up a a Eldar miniature to the camera. looks great. Oh, thanks. Yeah. So I finished my, my dire Avengers and my Farseer and, the Phoenix Lord Osirman, which is an oh. old, desperately old resin miniature that needs to be updated as soon as possible. But I finished <laughs> it. So, oh, is it fine cast? Yeah, it's and he's he's got that locked in pose, you know, where he's just facing one direction, you know, because there's just one mold. Ooh, yeah, it's just shot in one mold or whatever. Yeah, so. the old 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 school. Yeah, TV guys, <laughs> which yeah. I think is pretty charming. But um, he's got to have a good presence on the battlefield too. So, um, so yeah, that's that's been taking up my time uh that's awesome. pretty much it and watching speed for runs. the eyes for the <laughs> youtube viewers yeah thanks evan yeah andrew tell us tell us about something yeah so uh i i spent some time painting some miniatures this weekend uh because uh i was i love to do window shopping on uh gamesworkshop.com or just in game stores i love just to look at the miniatures but i've uh I've really tried these past several years to stop buying anything. And uh, now I, because I have so, I have so many miniatures. Um, so I've, I've kind of like started looking at my miniature collection as my own little shop. So I'll just go <laughs> and like, if I feel like painting something, I'll just go and like, oh, what do I feel like painting? Well, I have, I have so many options. Um, so uh, I've been, uh, I, I've been uh, really liking the look of the uh, Gene Stealer cults, which are like a new, they just came out with a codex for them. So I was starting looking at Tyranids again and looking at those Gene Stealer cults, which are pretty cool. Um, I was like, oh man, I don't want to I I buy any of these. <laughs> um, so uh, I went and just dug out my uh, my copy of Space Hulk, which I have a, you know, a bajillion primed Gene Stealers in there. So I just got those out and started painting those. Um, so I painted cool. three of the Gene Stealers from my copy of uh, Space Hulk uh, this weekend. As I was, I was uh, sitting down watching some football games, and that was that was that was really fun. Um, I painted them like the uh, High Fleet Behemoth colors, which I was the colors of the uh, Tyranids that we used in all of the uh, old FFG uh, products. So that was pretty fun. They looked pretty sweet, kind of like the yeah. red red and blue scheme cool um yeah so that, that was cool so i feel like uh doing my part by not by not buying more stuff just 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 using the stuff i have because i have plenty um i'll make sure to balance the scales by buying <laughs> craft <laughs> sure. <world> eldar <laughs> no man eco-friendly here we no, don't need to Evan. buy more things i right, can't stop <laughs> styrene isn't the worst thing in the world not <laughs> perfect but there are worse things um yeah, I played a little bit more Final Fantasy VII uh, cool. on uh, on Saturday morning. Um, Final Fantasy VII remake. Um, I'm uh, I'm still not to the next reactor. I'm I just finished turning off a bunch of sun lamps. 
<laughs> and I played for a couple hours, got everything in that little area and, uh, uh, got to this really irritating battle at the end of like two hours of playing where <laughs> I just got just destroyed by these turrets. And I was like, oh, screw this. I cannot oh. do this right now. I <laughs> stopped. <laughs> and then I, uh, uh, tried out a little bit of, uh, this game called, uh, um, Kana Bridge of Spirits. Mm-hmm. Um, and you've heard of that game. Yeah, one like best indie game I think at the yeah it's, awards recently. It's yeah. pretty cool. Yeah, it's like it has like an old school, um, uh, like an old school like open world kind of three D platformer vibe to it. Um, it's, it definitely feels like it's from a different age, but then it has this really awesome aesthetic and uh, just great looking, great like great looking art design. Um, and mm-hmm. thematically, you know, like you were saying, Anders, like I'm kind of over like killing dudes. Like you do fight things in this in this game, but the, the thematically it's uh, you know framed as um, like essentially like freeing like trapped spirits. Uh, mm-hmm. So it has a lot of things that are like it in a lot. There's a lot of th- things thematically with the story in this game that I felt like really similar to um, uh, to like some stuff that we're doing in Rangers. Um, so that was really cool. Like it was, it's it's beautiful. Uh, it's a very mm-hmm. very good looking it game. Beautiful. It kind of looks like a uh, almost like a Pixar film um yeah yeah so the, the controls are maybe a little mushy but um but i was enjoying mm-hmm. it it was a it was a nice nice change of pace it was uh from getting shot to pieces in um in final fantasy 7 remake <laughs> right uh <laughs> and then on uh on sunday i got a chance to play oath with some friends um which is a board game uh and uh that was a lot of fun. I, I, I picked up that game um, a few months ago when I saw it in a, in a local game store and um, I kind of wrestled with whether or not I should pick it up because it's, uh, it's pretty pricey, but I was like, Oh man, you know, I'm, and, and I don't necessarily have people to play with all the time. So, um, uh, but I, but I did it cause like, I'll just, I'll just think about it forever if I, if I don't pick it up now. Um, mm-hmm. And I played it with my sons uh, who are, you know, people i usually play games with just my kids <laughs> yeah yeah because <laughs> uh, they're here uh and you know they're interested so um and it's you know it's fun it's usually fun playing oath with them was terrible though because it's a it's <laughs> mm. a it's a you know competitive strategy game and uh the ruthless it's, it's pretty ruthless and the way that's designed um it's always very clear who's about to win so when it's clear who's about to win uh you just gang up, you know, it's like, okay, well, this is what I need to do to prevent this person from winning. And the game points you in that direction. Uh, but that didn't really do much for my, for my son who was like, Oh, I'm going to win. And then I'm like, ah, and I did a thing and then he wasn't winning and it, it ended in tears. Uh, it, it was, he felt very bad. Um, uh, so yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't a very happy ending, but I played with uh, my oldest son and a couple of friends, uh, on Sunday. And, um, it was really enjoyable. I, I think, you know, it's, it's kind of daunting at first because it's a game that, uh, has a, has a relatively loose structure to it. It's kind of, it's a, on your turn, you have like a menu of actions, which are games that I really enjoy. Like I've talked a lot about how much I love Netrunner, And I think, um, uh, mm. you know, Arkham Horror, Arkham Horror, the card game is a similar thing, um, where, you know, you just have options, uh, of things you can do. Um, and, in a strategy game where you have a bunch of options that you can do, but you don't really know how, what you should be doing to win that. You don't know what the strategy actually should be. 
it can be a little um, a little daunting at first. But after a couple rounds, they, so it's a it's a game by Leader Games. The like same people did Root. Um, oh yeah, which I which I also really enjoy. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I think in, in Root and in Oath. Uh, the best part about those rule books are the tutorials um, where they just, you know, essentially just take you through a turn and it's, it's a little bit dull because you're just kind of reading like I do this and I do this and I do this. Um, and it gives you an explanation at the end as to why you're doing the things you're doing to kind of wrap your head around what the strategy might, what a strategy might be for you. Um, so I think those are, that was really great uh, and um, really got you on board. Uh, but the eyes of my friends were glazing over a little bit by the end. But I think once we finally put that book down, got through the first turn of the non-tutorial, then everyone was into it. And, uh, and we had a really good time. Um, uh, my, uh, my friend uh, Aaron was the chancellor who um, recruited my son to be a citizen Uh it would, in a surprise move and he joined him and uh mm-hmm. then uh my son ended up taking a couple taking a territory away from me uh near the end to you know give them the oath the oath keeper title and uh then they rolled a five um because there were at the at, at a certain number of turns you roll die to see if the chancellor wins if they're the oath keeper and uh mm-hmm. They rolled the five and one. It was pretty cool because the guy to the left of me, he was about to win if he hadn't, if uh, the chancellor hadn't won. So um, I knew I wasn't going to win. So <laughs> it was just uh-huh. fun. It was fun drama. I don't know oh, if God, uh, yeah. if uh, if my friend Luke, if he uh, if he feels the same way about it. But I, I thought it was pretty <laughs> cool for it to end on a die roll. <laughs> yeah, oh, it was man. fun. I was really happy to finally get it to the table and uh, been chatting um, with those guys uh, afterward. Uh, in the days since and you know, hopefully get it to the table again because it has this cool kind of persistent uh, element to it where um, you take certain cards and locations from the board and you those persist into future games um, yeah. and uh, the, the board continues to evolve uh, from play to play and I think the game will feel very and play very differently when it starts with so many cards on the board so I'm in- interested to try it out again that's awesome yeah it's, it's fun it's cool to- it's it's cool to hear about you know people sitting in the same room together and yeah <laughs> those dramatic moments in person yeah awesome. it was great I know I know that root root game has like a switch port now so if you don't want to if the pandemic flares up again you can play root God, on your it's, switch it's not talking <laughs> about that it's not talking about <laughs> <laughs> well I think that about does it for this week do you guys feel feel like you've said all you major piece with all of us uh, <laughs> <laughs> absolutely yeah yeah i think we, we covered work we covered leisure we talked about sustainability i think yeah we got we got pretty good yeah, coverage this, like, yeah. today great talk guys yeah. um if you want to find us the best way to reach us is at info at earthborngames.com ask us some questions i mean not me, Andrew will probably <laughs> yeah, I'll get be those responding. <laughs> right. And we're also on Twitter, Facebook. Just search for Earthborn Games. All right, guys. It's been great. Cool. Thank See you. See you next time. Yeah, yeah. thanks, Anders. <laughs>